Welcome to the second season of Better News, the series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by API and the Knight Lenfest News Initiative. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research API has published as part of its Better News Initiative. More and more, newsrooms are using events to grow their audience and build loyalty. Sierra Hinton is co-director of strategy and operations at Press On, as well as the executive director publisher of Scalawag. Recently, Sierra wrote an article for Better News with Alicia Harris entitled, How Scalawag is Using Events to Diversify Audience and Grow Membership. Welcome to the podcast, Sierra. Thank you so much for having me. So first of all, tell me a little bit about Scallywag. I love the name. What is its mission? Yeah, so Scalawag is a journalism and storytelling organization that illuminates dissent, unsettles dominant narratives, pursues justice and liberation, and stands in solidarity with marginalized people and communities in the South. We're a regional publication based in Durham, North Carolina. In our sixth year of publication, we are Black, queer, and woman-led. Cool. And so how did you get involved with Scalawag? And why don't you just sort of tell me your career path as well? First, I'm not a journalist. I'm actually a fundraiser and have been working in development in nonprofits for the past 11 years. So I got involved with Scalawag because I met the co-founder through a mutual friend at a time when he was thinking about transitioning away from the organization. So they posted the executive director role and I applied for it and I was actually not selected, but I still ended up joining the organization, joining the growth team because I really loved the mission and the work that they were doing. And this was during the time that we were still volunteer-based. So I came on and was on the team for a year. Eventually, we did hire a new executive director publisher. Unfortunately, you know, we had a really hard transition, and he ultimately ended up resigning and leaving the organization. So we were in a really hard place financially, culturally with our team. We lost a lot of really great folks. And there was a small group of us that sort of stuck around to try to figure things out. And in that process, you know, our co-founders and our board of directors rallied around us and we were able to get back on track. And I became the interim executive director and have been the ED ever since. And I'm in my second year in the role. We're here to talk about events and how Scallywag uses events. And I guess, you know, events in this context sort of circles around your relationship with your audience. Can you you tell me some of the challenges that Scallywag was facing with its audience? Our co-founders are white and our team has always been diverse, but we were still finding that we were reaching predominantly white audiences. And we also, just for some context, started as a print publication. So we were a quarterly print magazine that was reaching predominantly white folks, older folks in the region. And so when I came on and came into leadership and the demographics of our team shifted, we really started to focus in on, okay, how can we start to reach folks that look more like the the folks who are now leading the organization? So we really wanted to look at how can we move from serving predominantly white audiences to serving more diverse audiences, especially people of color. And so our target audiences with events have been focused on 
growing more diverse audiences, but also geography. So we are a regional publication. So we're covering the whole South, which is a really, really big area. And have started to think strategically about how we could build deeper relationship with folks and saw events as a really strong strategy to do that. And so we have what are called our hometowns. So that's Durham, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, and Birmingham, Alabama. So we, pre-pandemic, were really focusing on doing in-person events in those areas to, you know, focus in and grow our audiences there. You know, before we get into virtual and COVID and everything, let's talk about the events that you, the in-person events that you were doing. What type of events were you, were you doing? So we were doing primarily two types of events. So we had what we called our Jubilees, which were very celebratory, really focused on relationship building and Southern joy and how we can really just get out there and get to know the people in our community. They were really fun. They had a DJ, you know, we had food and drinks and you know, and the one in Atlanta, we had a tattoo artist who was just giving free tattoos right there in the party. And it was amazing. And we saw, you know, really, really diverse groups of people showing up, interacting with us and getting to know more about our work. The other really great thing about those events is at each one, we were bringing in either a community partner or a contributor to come and speak about their partnership with Scalawag and how the work that we do intersects intersected with the work that they do. And so, and all of these folks are folks who, who lived in those communities. So that was just another great way to not only build connection with those hometowns, but also to amplify the work of the folks that we partner with. And then the second type of events that we were doing are more content focused and really are a way for us to take the work that happened at that time in our print publication on our pages, but also digitally on our website and across our platforms and bring them to deliver that content to folks in another way. So, you know, we have had events that are focused on the environment, on uh, gentrification, and just really getting folks to dig deeper into the issues that are facing their communities. So how did uh, COVID impact your your ability to do events? Totally. So we were focused in on these in-person events, and we had all these plans that we were going to continue to travel around the South and show up in the places in our hometowns and continue to build relationships and get to know people. And then, you know, really, honestly, we were just days out from another in-person event and had to cancel and really started to think, okay, what can we do? We have built a good part of our strategy, especially our strategy as it concerns membership around these in-person events. And so we immediately made the decision to switch to doing virtual events, both to sort of continue on with that strategy, but more importantly, because there were some real needs coming out of our communities and we wanted to be able to address them in a really informative way. So we decided to do an event series 
So it was a three-part event series. The first event was focused on labor and on workers' rights. So this was at the very beginning of COVID when a lot of folks, especially working class folks, were starting to lose their jobs or they were continuing to work, but without clear sort of guidelines, regulations, unsure of what protections that they had as workers around how long they should be working, PPE, things like that. So We got together labor lawyers, we got together community organizers that were organizing folks around labor and brought them together in a panel, folks from across the region, so that we had information about different parts of the South. And they were just able to share what they knew, understanding that like at that time, a lot of folks had very limited knowledge, but just based on like what they knew historically, but also what they were hearing at that time. And we had close to 100 folks come and listen and just, you know, really try to get as much information as possible. Uh, We also had folks from the Fight for 15, which is a organizing group that's working on raising the minimum wage, come and talk about their work as well. The second event that we did was focused, was very similar, but was focused on housing and the protections that folks had. And it happened right at the first of the month when people were really uncertain about what was going to happen as their rent was coming due. The third event in the series was our first virtual Jubilee, and it was a Black queer poetry reading and dance party. And we had three poets come, and it was our most well-attended event. It had over 100 folks present, and there were so many exciting parts about it. You know, the majority of the folks who attended were people of color, and another really sort of fun fact and exciting thing was that one of the poets that spoke was Jericho Brown and he went on and won the Pulitzer Prize like days later. So it was also, it felt sort of vanguard to be able to have this person come and do this reading and then for them to win this like major award right after, which made, you know, a really great celebration already more celebratory. So, you know, you've done some live events and and of course you've had these virtual events. What has surprised you about them? You know, what have you learned from putting them on? So I think one of the biggest things that surprised us was just like how quickly we were able to adapt and really go from having these really robust in-person events to now doing these, you know, equally robust virtual events. So the way that we did that, we actually ended up using the agile methodology and treating each event in the series as a sprint. And so, you know, every time that we were doing a new event in the series, we were coming together, we were setting outcomes and goals, and we were We had clear project plans and roles, and we were evaluating it at the end of each event and looking whether or not we met the outcomes and how we could do better in the next one, but also like what are the things that we needed to fix going into each event. And so that way we were very quickly able to go from being really unsure about what it looked like to put on a virtual event to by the end of it being very clear about what was needed to effectively put on a virtual event and have folks ultimately convert to membership. I think the other thing that other things that we were surprised about or, you know, sort of adapted along the way was like just like the smaller things. So 
figuring out that like our first event, we had way too many speakers, so it was too long. And having to figure out what is the right amount of, of folks to have talking so that there's like clear information and actionable things for folks to take away, but also that, you know, people aren't frankly bored. Also, like, how are we moderating it? Learning that, you know, we needed to be engaging folks, not just through the speakers, but also through the chat and the different ways to do that. And then I think the biggest surprise is like, generally at our events, we've been asking folks after at our in-person events, and those have still been very effective. And what we learned in our virtual events is that you know, we saw the highest conversion when we asked people before, during, and after an event. So we really increased the number of asks that we were making. And then the last thing I would say is like, we learned that if we did not explicitly name that a space was for people of color or that the people that were going to be speaking were people of color, we saw that less people of color attended. And so that's something that we're being really conscious of moving forward is like, how do we center folks' identities in order to signal to folks that this is for them and increase their likelihood of attending? So yeah, one thing I, d I didn't, you know, pin down at the beginning, which I probably should have is what was it you were, were trying to do from a conversion standpoint? You mentioned membership. What were you seeking in that area? With Membership, you know, we have really many strategies for folks to convert to membership, but with our events, what we've found is that, you know, when folks attend our events, it's sort of like they skip the first, the top of the funnel and sort of go straight to the mid funnel. And we think that's because they're able to build a relationship with us quickly through event attendance. And so, you know, our hope is that folks are able to, like I said, build a quick relationship with Scalawag through event attendance and that we can then in that way prime them for a membership ask, which we usually deliver either at the end of the event or in a follow-up email after the event. And so with our virtual events, you know, we really, we actually had a very sort of low goal to begin with. I think we wanted maybe like 10 folks to become members at the end of an event, by the end of the, an event. And what we ended up seeing is that over the three events, we had like 53, over 50 people who became members after attending one of these events in the initial series. That's a pretty good conversion. And, and certainly it's great yeah. compared to what you were, you were hoping to accomplish. Now, what advice would you give to someone who wanted to try events to diversify their audience and grow their membership? I would definitely say that partnership is key. Something that we think about a lot aligned to this thought that like events are a way to deepen relationships and really prime folks to convert to membership is how partnerships with especially community organizations or organizations that are really connected to the folks that you want to be connecting with, how those partnerships can also help to speed up relationship building. So just sort of, you know, by working with them and folks seeing that like, okay, here's an organization that I know and trust that's now working with this other organization, like, and they are giving me content through events online, et cetera, that, you know, I'm enjoying and that aligns with my values, et cetera. Folks are then 
more willing to become membership. So that is something that I would definitely offer. And then I would say really treating events both as like an opportunity for relationship building, but also as a revenue stream. You know, we charge suggested donations at each of our events and that helps to either fully cover the cost of the events usually. And, you know, we also saw during the pandemic, especially because the cost of hosting a virtual event is much lower than an in-person event that we were actually in some cases able to make a profit off of the event. So events as a revenue stream and then also events as a product. And just in the way that you would think, use product thinking to develop any other type of product that your newsroom has, thinking about events in the same way. I've been talking to Sierra Hinton about her recent piece for API's Better News Initiative, how Scalawag is using events to diversify audience and grow membership. Sierra, thanks for coming on the Better News Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.